so I was talking with Henry at, and he's not here, so it's all right. Um, I was talking with Henry at uh, the wedding, actually, Louise, in your backyard. Um, what was that Monday? And we're and 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 Henry Henry and I were kind of uh, marveling at at our children. Um, our children were uh, searching Louise's backyard for rocks, and uh, Naomi found um, a nice, really pretty white rock. Do you have white rocks in your backyard? Around some of them. Some of them. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So you have a sure. Yeah. So so Naomi brought over a, a white rock. And also some other like little stones that that she had dug up in the backyard, um, and and Henry was kind of laughing because uh, he he told me a story when uh, just a couple weeks ago, um, Addie they were looking for rocks at at the park, and and Addie was was looking for uh, looking through all these rocks trying to find you know the perfect beautiful rock to collect, and we were just kind of laughing how uh, you know our our children. Uh, love to collect rocks, and you know it. it I want to think about this tonight. Um, why do children and adults like to look at rocks? What is it about rocks? Collecting rocks. What What is it about rocks that uh, draws the beauty of the eye? Uh, what is it about them? I want you to think of a couple things here. Okay, so let's let's get our eyes off of just little rocks. And let's think of big rocks. Think of the Grand Canyon. What is the Grand Canyon but a giant rock that a river cut through? Six million people a year visit the Grand Canyon to stare and look at a giant rock in the earth. And, and if you've ever, has anyone ever looked at the, seen the Grand Canyon in person? Is it, is it, uh, is it just like, man, whatever? Or what, what is it? Use a word. Give me some words. Awesome. What, what, what do you think? You're speechless. It's so beautiful yes. to, 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 to behold. You can't even think of words. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just magnificent. Right. It's just magnificent. Six million people a year go there just to look at this piece of rock. Two million people a year visit Red Rock Canyon. That's a little more closer to us, right? You go, anyone been to Red Rock Canyon? Beautiful up there. Beautiful rock. It's red. It's gorgeous. Uh, you go hiking up there. You can go rock climbing up there. Uh, just, just, a, just a beautiful thing to behold. 1.5 million people a year visit Bryce Canyon. You guys went to Bryce Canyon. What is it? Just a bunch of rock, right? Rocks on top of each other, and when you went and saw it, because you can look at pictures of it, but it's not the same. When you saw it, what what'd you just, what'd you think about? So, wow, beautiful. And what is it but a bunch of rocks, right? I mean, and, and I want I want us to think about here. Why is that? Why do we marvel at rocks? What is it about them that makes kids go collect them? And it's just, I have, a, I have a little rock on my computer at my, at my job that I think Caleb found in the front yard. Uh, and it's a, I don't know, it's a nice rock. And he gave it to me to keep. And I just, I, it's been on my computer all, all, all school year. Um, what is it about rocks? What, why, why are rocks so glorious to look at? And brother, I'm going to tell you right now, rocks are glorious to look at. And they're beautiful to the eye because they symbolize and show and demonstrate to us the glory of God. That's what we're going to be looking at here tonight. We're going to be looking at what the Bible has to say about God as our rock. And the Bible has a lot to say about God as our rock. And so it is no coincidence that we love to behold them, that they look beautiful, because they, they show us something of God. God made those, okay? And, and I want to I just look at the Bible and see how rocks, what, what, they, what, what they teach us about the glory of God. So I want you to open up first, and, and, and what I want to do is just go through a few passages that, that, that talk about God as a rock, 
And then I want to uh, then, uh, okay, then what does that mean for us? How do we, how does this relate to God? How do we see God in all of this? What, what does that mean for us? So uh, first, just open up to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32. I just want to read a couple passages in Deuteronomy and in the Psalms and one in Isaiah. Now listen, the Bible, uh, I, I think I just said this, but the Bible has a lot more to say about rock than you would think. Uh, this is everywhere in the Bible. So go to Deuteronomy 32. I want to just read a couple passages. So let's look at uh, verse 4. Deuteronomy 32, starting at verse 4. So we see right here, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and upright is He. So there's a reference here to God as the rock. Go to verses uh, 15 and 16, same chapter. Deuteronomy 32, 15 and 16. Someone want to read that for us? Uh, Deuteronomy 32, 15 and 16. The rock of his salvation. Go to verse 18. Read 18. Aaron, go ahead. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. So there's a couple. We've already got, what, three references in Deuteronomy 32. Now, uh, Sergio, go ahead and read for us. Same chapter, Deuteronomy 32, verses 30 and 31. Okay, so their rock, the nations, right? Their rock is not like our rock, God's people's rock. Now look down in verse 35. This is the same chapter. Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. When he sees that their power is gone, and there is none remaining, bond or free. Then he will say, Where are their gods? The rock in which they took refuge. So where, where is their rock when God comes in vengeance and recompense? Let's go over to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 2, the prayer of Hannah. Got another reference here to God as our rock. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Someone read verse 1 and 2 for us. This is Hannah's prayer. One and two. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Okay, okay what's going on with Hannah right here? You guys remember? Why is she praying this? Go ahead. No. Go ahead. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? So, so remember, she was oppressed um, by um, uh, Peninnah, and then God answers her prayer, gives her a son, and then she exclaims and cries out and praises the Lord, calling Him a rock. He's holy, and there's none besides Him. There's no rock like our God. Now go to, to the end of 2 Samuel. 
And and just recall that first and second Samuel were it's just it, it's one book. Right? So Second Samuel chapter twenty two. So here's David. And someone read for us verses 1, 2, and 3 of 2 Samuel chapter 22. Okay, so notice why David saying this, right? So David spoke to the Lord these words, verse 1, when Yahweh delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So, so reminiscing on what God has done, David is praising Yahweh as his rock, among other things, right? Shield, fortress, deliverer. Now go down to verse 32, same chapter. David continues here with this theme of God as a rock. 32, for who is God but Yahweh? And who is a rock except our God? Now go down to verse 47. Same chapter, same song, David still singing. Verse 47, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock. And exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. Now we're not done with David here. Now go to chapter 23. These last words of David. Look at what David says in, in, in verse 2 and in verse 3. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me. And then he goes on with more of these words. Now, notice real quick here. Okay, First and Second Samuel is originally one book. Okay, The book opens up with a declaration of Yahweh being a rock to Hannah. And then it ends with another declaration that Yahweh has been a rock to David. And so the book opens and closes with this, this, this theme of Yahweh as a rock. And if you think about it, you can kind of read First and Second Samuel through that lens. Uh, and everything in between this demonstrates how God has been a rock to His people from beginning to end. Let's look at a couple of verses in the Psalms. Psalm 28. Let's go to the Psalms. Now, if you just look up in a concordance uh, or, or you do a, a word study of rock, uh, this is all over the place. But we're just going to, I just chose a couple that I liked and we're going to talk about some of them. So Psalm 28, 1. This is of David. Again, more of this language as a rock. Psalm 28, verse 1 of David. To you, O Yahweh, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Look at Psalm 31. Psalm 31. Someone read verses 1 through 5. Psalm 31. So here's David calling out to the Lord, calling him his rock. You're my rock and my fortress. 
Jesus quotes this uh, verse here in, in verse 5. Did you guys catch that? Into your hands I commit my spirit. Uh, Jesus quotes that upon the cross there in, in Luke chapter 23. Same kind of context here. Let me not be put to shame. Deliver me. And the Lord certainly does. Uh, let's go look at just two more and then we're going to kind of switch gears here. Let's go to Psalm 95. Psalm 95. Again, I'm just showing you all these places where God is called a rock. And there's, there's several dozen more, but Psalm 95, verse 1. Someone read that for us. The rock of our salvation. Thank you. All right, two more. Isaiah. I just want to show you that this is not just in the Psalms, but some of the prophets as well. We'll look at two in Isaiah. Isaiah 26, 4. Now, if you've ever ridden in the car with the Hendrixes, uh, you'll notice that... You guys still have that little banner on your... Uh, uh, what do you call that thing? Rear, rear view mirror? That's Isaiah 26, 3, right? All right. Kelsey, read, read 3 and 4. You see that, brother? We have right there an exhortation for us to trust in the Lord. Why? Why? For. Because he is. What? Yeah. He's a rock, and not just a rock, he's the everlasting rock. Right? So when you think of, 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 of rocks, okay, let's, let's come back here. When you think of rocks and you think of how, how do they symbolize God, one way, brother, you think of a rock. Now, listen, this is not, uh, don't take this as a one-on-one -on -one correlation, but, but, but I think this helps us understand a little bit. Rocks are big. They're immovable, right? They're, they're, they're unchanging. They're constant, uh, many times they're unbreakable, right? And so you start to you start to think, okay, th this does give us a good symbol of, of of who God is, the everlasting Rock, the unchangeable, constant, unbreakable God. And in Isaiah forty four eight, I'll just read this one to you. The last one here, just in a brief survey here. Yahweh says, Fear not, nor be afraid. Remember, he's, he's speaking to those that are in exile in Babylon. He's going to come and save them. Remember, that's the context of the second half of Isaiah. Fear not, nor be afraid. I, have I not told you from of old and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? There is no rock. I know not any. So there we have just a small sweep of, I don't know, 10 verses or, or, or so about what the Bible calls or, or, or that, that God calls himself uh, this rock. So what I want to do now is I want to kind of look at, okay, well, what does that mean for us? What, what, is, what are some of these verses actually teaching us about God as our rock? Uh, that's been established pretty clearly here. So I want us to think about a few things here. First is this, that God is our rock and He is strong. He is one full of strength. You, look, you think of a rock and you think of strength. You think of strong. Rocks are unbreakable, like I said, they're, uh, especially large ones. They're, 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 they're big. They're strong and mighty. Look at Psalm 62.7. Look at, we didn't look at this one. I saved a couple of these because I want to try to draw some points out here. Psalm 62, verse 7. 
Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna read I'm gonna read five, six, seven, and, and, and eight right here. So listen to what listen to what David says here. He says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. See what David says here about God? That He's not just a rock. What kind of rock is He? What does it say there in, in, in verse 7? Got an adjective before that. Mighty rock. That word is... Uh, the, 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 the idea behind it is, is strength. Strength. Strong. He's, a, he's not just a rock. He's a mighty rock. He's a strong rock. This is the same word we get in Psalm 46, verse 2. The Lord is my refuge and strength. There is the same word, mighty. Strength. Strong. Psalm 59, verse 10. David says, Oh, my strength. Same word, mighty. All... This, this, this mighty rock, God as a, as a strong rock. Now, now look, notice what is happening with David. What is he saying that he's going to be doing in verse 5? He's going to wait upon him. His hope is in him. Brethren, we have a God. We have a God who is strong. And therefore, we could wait upon Him. Therefore, we could put our hope in Him. That He will defend His people. That He will watch over us. That He will protect us. And that leads David to say in verse 8, as he recognizes who God is, my rock, my fortress, my salvation, my glory, it rests in God, my mighty rock, my refuge. And then look at what he says in verse 8. So David knows to wait upon the Lord because God is this, he's a strong rock. Therefore, what does he tell the nations to do, the people? To trust in him. Brethren, you see how that works? When we look at God as our strength, as a mighty rock, we could wait upon Him. We could hope in Him. And then in turn, we've got to be able to tell other people, put your trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God's a refuge for us. Brethren, looking at God as a strong rock ought to encourage us in prayer. It ought to help strengthen us, Lord. Help your people. We could wait upon Him. He's strong. Also, notice, second thing here, that God, our rock, is a fortress. He's a refuge. Now, we've seen this in a few of these verses here already, and how these are so intricately tied together. My rock and my fortress. My rock and my refuge, right? The, the ideas go together, okay? Because a, a rock is a refuge. Remember when, and I'm going to give you some examples here. Remember when um, Moses asked Yahweh, show me your glory, Exodus 34? Jessica, you, you brought this up the other day at the prayer meeting. I don't know if you remember. Um, but remember what, remember what uh, Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord said, okay, I'll show you my glory. But what did he do with them first? He put them in a rock. Right? In the cleft of the rock. Why? To protect him. From who? From God. So that he could, so that he could be safe in the rock. He put him in a rock. And then he passed by and... And, and Moses saw the backside of God because no one could see God face to face and not die. Now, now, now some uh, commentators and interpreters uh, will uh, identify this rock as, as Christ, right? 
this, this, this rock where we, we are hidden in Christ, right? Uh, he's our rock and our refuge. Uh, that's that's uh, Exodus 34, hidden in the rock. Go, go to Psalm 94. 94.22. I want to show you this. Someone read uh, verses 21 and 22 of Psalm 94. Psalm 94, verses 21 and 22. They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold, and my God the rock of my refuge. In context here, you read the first couple of verses. This is about the God of vengeance coming and crushing the enemies. Uh our enemies. And he says that Yahweh has been a, my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. Now, we sang the song, Rock of Ages. Do you guys know who wrote that song? Well, let me ask you this question. Do you know when that song was written? Rock of Ages? Cleft for me? Let me hide myself in thee? Right? It's all about this, this rock, right? Christ, God being our rock. Do you know when that song was written? Close. But, but you're in the ballpark, right? My, my, long time ago. 1763. You guys know who wrote that? That hymn, Rock of Ages? Augustus Top Lady. <laughs> Augustus Top Lady wrote that, wrote that hymn, Rock of Ages. 1763, it's based off of this passage right here. Psalm 94, 22. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. He's our rock. He's our refuge. Now, what does refuge entail? What is a refuge? Yeah, okay, yeah, good. What else? I guess, I mean, I guess you can kind of flesh it out from there, but yeah. A, a hiding place, right? Place of safety. Now, uh, go, well, I'll show you in a second, but the, the word here, it, it has this idea of like this high summit mountaintop, right? So when you go up on a high mountain, up on a high rock, you're safe from enemies, Right? You're up high. You're, you're out of harm's way, so to speak. So when we, when we, when we find ourselves in, in the refuge of God, we're, we're, we're in a safe place. Now, worldly speaking here, you, if you ever... And this is why you guys got to watch Dispatches, because I'm going to give you two examples from here. Um, but he, he goes to the Great Wall of China. And I actually watched a documentary on the Great Wall of China the other day. And what's fascinating about the Great Wall of China is that the, the wall is built on the ridge, like where the where two mountains come up, right? It comes up. This is like the ridge on the top. It's built along the ridge of, of, of these mountains. And, and, and there's these like watchtowers, these, these, these refuges, these, 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 these towers. And, and the reason why it's so high up is, is, is because there, there's safety up there. Right? You're out of harm's way. You're up high. You have the position. Uh, they have these fortresses there built uh, for, for, for safety against the enemy. That's the idea here. When we look at God as our refuge, we, we hide ourselves in Him. And we can find protection from enemies. We find safety. We find comfort there. Rest. All these different things. This is all present in this. We see the same thing in, in Psalm 61. You just flip over there. Look at, look at Psalm 61. I'm going to read verses 1, 2, and 3. Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You have been my refuge 
a strong tower against the enemy. There's all your, there's all your imagery right there. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. God's been a refuge for us. He's, he's David's strong tower against the enemy. Now, brother, I mean, think of David's life, right? David was, I mean, David was constantly on the run. And he's writing these psalms, and he's, and he's, and he's praising God for watching over him and protecting him. You know, I was thinking about you guys driving home from, uh, from, from Texas. You know, you weren't up on a high mountain ridge, but you guys are in Christ, who's a rock and refuge for you. And there could have been disaster. It's not funny, but there could have been a, a nightmare with your tires and your lug nuts and things. And, but we find ourselves in Christ, and He's protecting us, protecting His people. Um, you know, I was thinking of, obviously, what's going on in Myanmar and just how applicable these things are for people. You know, they're, they're, they're utterly exposed. And God's being a rock and a refuge for them. Um, just really encouraging. Really encouraging. So, God our rock is strong. He's, 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 he's our strength. He's a fortress for us. Now, I got just a couple more here, then, and then we'll be done. I want, I want to look at God our rock in salvation and in judgment. Now, you think about this for a second, right? What was a common practice of judgment in the Old Testament? What would you say? Being stoned. I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't know. But people were, the judgment of God often fell upon people in stoning. Get hit by a rock. Now, that's not always the case. Paul was stoned, right? Stephen was stoned in the New Testament. That's obviously not God's judgment upon them. But I don't think that's a coincidence when we find stoning as a means of judgment in the Old Testament. God as a rock. Look at um, Daniel chapter 2. When we think of this idea of judgment and salvation, go to, go to Daniel. Daniel chapter 2. I'm just going to read a portion here. I'm not going to talk about it really, but... I want you just to see this here. And I want you to pay attention. I'm going to start reading in verse number 31. So, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, right? And he doesn't, he doesn't know the interpretation, and he's trying to figure it out because the dream alarms him. And so Daniel, uh, the Lord reveals to Daniel what the dream is. Daniel comes. Now listen uh, to what this says here, starting in verse number 31. Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 31. I'm, I'm going to read these verses here. This is Daniel talking to King Nebuchadnezzar. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of bronze and partly of clay. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar saw this big statue and it's made of these different minerals and materials working its way down. 34, as you looked, pay attention here, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck it, struck the image, became a great mountain, and filled the whole earth. Okay, well, what is this even talking about? Verse 36. Now Daniel's going to give the interpretation. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. 
You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth, all over the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with, with clay. Now, now pay attention in, in these last two verses. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Here's the picture. There's this image made of these four kinds of metals, Gold, iron, bronze, clay mixed with iron. Okay? And the stone is going to come and crush these kingdoms. This, the stone cut and, uh, by no human hand is going to come and crush these kingdoms. And then that stone will become a great mountain and fill the earth. Brethren, without getting into all this very, really in depth, this is talking about the kingdom of God. And how the stone comes, who is Christ, and Christ comes and crushes the kingdom of men, and God establishes His kingdom in the earth. And that little stone that crushes all the other kingdoms is going to be set up and become a great mountain and fill the earth. So what we see here, brethren, is that what God's going to do is He's coming, and He did, and He will continue to do, judge the nations and establish His kingdom. This stone. And what is Jesus called in the New Testament? A stone. A rock of offense. He's the stone. So He's going to come and judge nations and establish His kingdom. Now, I want to show you another passage here, Luke chapter 20. Sergio, I want you to read these verses here. Let's go to the New Testament here, Luke chapter 20. Read verses 17 and 18. So we have a picture here, um, Christ saying that He is the cornerstone. He is the stone that the Jewish nation, the builders, had rejected. But in fact, He is the most important stone. He is the stone that holds the entire building together, talking about God's house, the temple. Okay. Now, what's interesting is in verse 18, I think you get a picture here of... Two ideas. Uh, on the one hand, verse 18, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. 
think we get an idea here, uh, possibly, of, of a picture of salvation and a picture of judgment. Brethren, we fall upon the rock of Christ, and you know what He does to us? He breaks us into pieces. We're broken by Him, broken over our sin. We're grinded down to be made new. But if that rock, that stone falls on you, what happens? Crushes you. That's an allusion back to Daniel chapter 2. There's a cross-reference in your Bible right there. Back to Daniel 2. I think you have both ideas there. Now, I'm not uh, going to die on a hill on that, but that's how this passage has been understood. Uh, picture of salvation and a picture of judgment. And those, and those are your two different options. Either A, you fall upon Christ and He breaks you, and saves you, right? Breaks you down spiritually. When you guys repented and believed in Christ, God broke you. We, we've, we talk about this. You, you use that language sometime in your own testimony. God broke me. And He does that when we cast ourselves upon Him. But He breaks you to then build you up again, right? But, on the flip side of that, that stone falls on you. It crushes you. You're judged. Those are your two options. Either you fall upon the stone or the stone will fall upon you. Now, would you rather go fall upon Lone Mountain or have Lone Mountain fall upon you? Well, you want to fall upon Lone Mountain. So, so I think we see here, potentially, uh, a picture of salvation and of judgment. Speaking of God as the rock, Jesus as the stone. Now, Jesus is also called a stone in, in Romans. You can turn over there, Romans 9. This idea of salvation. Romans 9, 32 and 33. Louise, you want to read those for us? Okay, that's fine. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, you're right. No, 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 no. I, I, I forgot that you... Yes, you're fine. Thank you. You're doing a good job in your Bible, by the way. You're, you're keeping up well. Yeah, 9, 32, and 33. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So, the Jewish people stumbled over Christ. He was a stumbling stone to them and a rock of offense. Now, why do you guys, like, why was that? Why was Christ a rock of offense and a a rock of offense and a stumbling stone to them. He made it. Too, he made what too easy? Salvation too easy. And what? And so? And what were they trying to? How did? Flesh that out a little bit. Yes. So it became offensive. Well, that it could be so easy, but also that the Jews for so long had accepted this reality that to be righteous meant obey the Mosaic law. And here comes this message of salvation that says if you want to be righteous, just trust in Christ. Then you'll be righteous. And that offended them. Just as it does people today, right? You, you, when we lay before, when we lay Christ before men, they're going to either do two things: they're going to be offended of Christ for a number of different reasons. One, because it's too easy. Two, they love their sin, um, and then in that he he becomes a stumbling stone to them. But. On the flip side of that, what is, what is the positive aspect at the end of 
33. That, that's a promise for us. That comes right from the Psalms. We just, we just, we read a verse that David said. Uh, I think it was, what was it, 60, 68 maybe? Uh, we, we just read it. Um, might have been 60, I don't know. It's okay. But whoever believes when, in, in this rock, in the stone, who is Christ, will not be put to shame, brethren. I mean, that's, that, that ought to encourage us. We're gonna, you're going to be vindicated. You know how you're going to be vindicated? You're going to rise from the dead to everlasting life. God will not leave you in the grave. He's going to raise you up. You're going to live with Him forever. We won't be put to shame. But here's the stone. To some, it's a, he, Christ is offensive. He's a rock of offense. But to others who trust in Him, they will not be put to shame. He gives them eternal life, forgiveness of sins. He saves them. So there's Christ as a means or the means of salvation as a stone. Judgment and salvation balancing there. I want to look at one more here. Go to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus 17. Last one here in this judgment and salvation aspect of, of God as our rock. Exodus 17, Israel's in the wilderness is in the wilderness. Exodus 17. I'm gonna start reading in verse 2. Exodus 17, verse 2. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test Yahweh? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to Yahweh, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on... Hey, go get mommy. And he said, uh, verse 5, And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, listen, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it. And the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of that place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested Yahweh by saying, Is Yahweh amongst us or not? So here's the picture, right? There they are in the wilderness. They're thirsty. They're in a desert land, right? And they're complaining to Moses. Moses, what did you bring us out here for? To kill us? And he goes to Yahweh, what, what am I going to do? And Yahweh says, take the staff, go, and I'm going to go before you. Look at what he says in verse 6. I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you will strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the people will drink. So what does Moses do? He strikes the rock. And what happens? Water comes flowing out of the rock, and the people drink. Now let me ask you a question. What is this talking about? Is this just a random occurrence of a rock being struck and water pouring out? Anyone got a... Okay, get your cross-references out here. Anyone got a cross-reference right there at verse 6? There is a lot. Uh, the last one. <laughs> go to... I'll just tell you where to go. It's okay. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Listen to what Paul says about this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
Listen to this. Uh, I'm waiting for you, sister. Don't worry. You there? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'll just start in verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized in the mo into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. Louise, what's that last phrase say? You can whisper it. And the rock was Christ. We got a picture here, brethren, of something. When that rock was struck by the staff, got a picture of Christ being struck by the judgment of God. And as that rock poured forth water for the people to drink, so Christ, when He is judged, pours out the life-giving water to the world, brethren. That's what we sing. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be for me the double cure. All for sin, a double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. There it is, brethren. Christ is struck on our behalf. And He gives the life-giving water to drink. Life comes from Christ. Just as life came from that rock in the Old Testament. And Paul says that was Christ. The picture of Christ, certainly. Struck for the people. Giving water to drink. Saving. Giving them life. So there's Christ as God as a rock in salvation and in judgment. Saving and judging. And last one here, God as our rock. And we got to look at this. This is important for us. A foundation to build upon. Christ is a foundation to build upon. Go to Matthew. Matthew 7. You guys know this passage. Matthew chapter 7. Got your Bible out, Nikki? Nikki, I want you to read verses 24 to 27. You had two foundations to build upon. What are they? A rock and sand. Now Jesus says, whoever does these words of mine is like one who built his house on the rock. And when the winds and the rain come, it does not fall. Why? Verse 25. Why? Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. Not because it was built well or because it was built shabby, but because it was built upon the rock. Now the rock here, we could call it a lot of different things here, right? The Word of God, Christ Himself, this foundation of building your house. Brother, we got to think this is really practical for us. When we build anything, we have got to build on the foundation of Christ. He's the foundation. His word is the rock upon which we got to build our life, our marriages, our churches, our children, our everything has got to be built upon the rock. We got to be those who are a doer of the word, who do the word. And in doing the word, we're building. When we look to the Scriptures and we obey them, Jesus says we're built upon the rock. 
built upon a firm and sturdy foundation. And when the floods come, you're going to stand because you built upon the foundation of the rock. A firm foundation to build upon. Everything we do, brethren, has got to be revolving around the Word, revolving around Christ. When these brothers go out and uh, teach these men in Peru, what are they going to be doing? Bringing them the Word of God. Why? Because that's a foundation upon which we got to build. And they got to build. Go plant churches. Well, how are you going to do that? Look at the Word. Got to bring out the Word. Build upon the Word. Go build up your church in Peru. How are you going to do that? By looking at the Word. Got to build upon the Word in everything we do. We got a firm foundation there. And whatever is built upon the Scriptures will stand. It'll stand, brethren. When the winds come and the storms come and they're going to come, if it's built upon the Word, it'll stand. Jesus says in Matthew 16, let's turn there real quick. Matthew 16. I'll read this one to us. I got three more, then we're done. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know what Peter's name means? Rock. Christ is going to build His church on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Okay? So the apostles are building upon the foundation of Christ. The apostles lay a foundation. They build upon Christ. They give us the scriptures, and then we go out and build. And Christ builds His church, brethren. Not He builds His church with people. He has a people church. And we're going to look at this in a minute here. Peter and the apostles are the foundation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Christ is the cornerstone upon which His whole house is built. And guess what? Your stone's in this house. You're a rock in the house. You guys, you guys know the Bible talks about that? Speaks that way? We're all stones in God's house? You guys know where that's at in the Bible? We'll go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at this. Upon which Christ is building His church. He builds His church on the rocks, and He builds His church out of rocks. Me and you. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, it's not called a rock here, but the idea is the same. Look at verse 4. Sergio, read verse 4. 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here we go. There's Christ, the living stone. He's the living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And you yourselves, what are we like? Living stones, built up into a spiritual house. So just as like God is a rock, He's a living stone, what are we? Little stones. We're, 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 yeah, we're stones from the big stone. 
Ah, stone. I like stone. <laughs> Gravel has a, has a little bit of a rougher connotation to it. I like stone. <laughs> but you see the picture here, right? That's what the church is. The church is living stones built into a spiritual house, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Interesting to think about it that way. The Bible has a lot to say about rocks. So when your kids are out looking for rocks out in the backyard and they bring you some precious rocks, don't just throw them off and say, what are you doing? Well, I mean, you could do that too, but you know, there's, there's, there's some biblical truth in there, right? Uh, building something, brethren. God's building his church. He's building it out of stones. People building on... You have a question? Oh, sorry. Building it out of people. Last verse here about a foundation. Now, remember that Christ is the cornerstone. He's the, he's the stone that holds it all together. Last verse about this foundation aspect. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Aaron, you want to read verses uh, 10 to 15? Pay attention here. Listen, listen for the language that we've been talking about. Chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. What's Paul out building? He's like the skilled master builder. What is he building? What? Yeah, the church, right? Churches. He's planting churches. He's building, you could say in the singular, he's building God's house. Right? That's the church. People. And what's the foundation? He says. Right there in verse... Verse 11. Say again. Christ. Christ is a stone upon which we build. And here's Paul. He's building God's house upon the stone, upon the rock of Christ. So the whole point of this is all to say that we, we must build upon the rock. Everything we do has got to be built upon Christ whether we're building a family, whether we're building friendships, whether we're building marriages, whether we're building churches, whether we're building uh, anything, a school, uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. we got to build upon Christ. He is the sure foundation. So on all these things, I want to just, we can just kind of flesh some things out here, then we'll be done. God is our rock. He is strong. God's our rock. He's a fortress. God, our rock, brings judgment and salvation. As a rock, He brings judgment and salvation. And God, as our rock, is a foundation upon which we could build. Now, what does that mean for us practically? Hmm? Oh, no? Oh. You guys got any thoughts at all? I'm just saying, like, what, why, what does that mean for us? How, how, how could we find some application about those things? I try to give a couple of things here and there, but how do we live in light of this? Let me just ask it that way. How do we live in light of God as our rock? He's strong. He's a fortress. He's the one who brings salvation and judgment. And he's a foundation upon which we build. 
How do we live in light of that? Okay. Yeah. We trust the Lord. That's certainly certainly an application for us. Why? Because he's he's strong. We have security in him. We could trust him. He's an everlasting rock. You know what everlasting means? Doesn't doesn't change. Doesn't go away. He's there. There he is. He's the constant, the only constant in the universe, right? Yeah. 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 So as God is steadfast and immovable, He's constant. We're to be constant in our labor, right? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. What else can we think of? Yep. Okay. I'll give you a text for that. We just read this psalm before we came here. Psalm 125, remember? Remember what it says? Those are like which cannot be moved but everlastingly abides. Psalm 125, verse 1. Those who trust in Yahweh are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but everlastingly abides. Right? Unshaken. Right? So, yes, that's exactly right. I'm just giving you a, a, a text to show you that you're thinking biblically here. Psalm 125. Yeah. What else? Obviously, a lot of it is very encouraging because it's assuring. But I, I, I also think of uh, just that text we read there in Corinthians, like fire is going to come and also test... And uh, you need to be made of a good substance. Mm. Um, it doesn't do you any good to think you're a rock when really your wood stay in hubble and you burn up in the fire. And I was just thinking even in Revelation, uh, you didn't touch these, I'm not trying to extend your Bible study. That's okay. But like at the end, uh, in Pergamum, it's weird, he says, um, you'll give him a, new, uh, a white stone with a name written on it. And then you get this in Revelation 3, he tells them, I'll make you a pillar in my temple. And then at the end, you've got these pillars with the names of God's people on there. Um, but it's really interesting because he says, you know, those who are faithful and don't depart, they'll be pillars in this temple. They'll be able to be in this new Jerusalem. But for the detestable, the faithless, they don't get to be in it. It's, oh. So it's at the same time, it reminds me of, all right, God's actually declared something about us. You know, you are a stone in this temple. But that... It should also say, just as a rock is immovable, I need to be steadfast, as he says in the Corinthians. Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And so it's, I want to live in light of that. I want to trust that and have assurance, but I want to live like, okay, I'm a stone now. <laughs> yeah. I need to live a life where I'm steadfast and I'm immovable in my trust. Yeah, amen. Amen. Yeah. You guys have any other thoughts at all on any of that, just in general, or maybe something you thought about when we were going through? Or Do you guys see that the Bible has a lot to say about rocks and God as a rock, Christ as the rock? A lot. It's full of it. It's everywhere. So, well, we could pray. Um, let's kind of hang out here, so... Uh, let, me, let me let me let me pray for us.